Hi, I'm Matthew Kind. Every Monday, look for a fresh new episode where I'll take you behind the scenes and interview the insiders that are shaping the rapidly evolving cannabis industry. Learn more at cannainsider.com. That's C-A-N-N-A insider.com. Now here's your program. Michigan is a market not on everybody's radar, but it is big and growing super fast. Here to tell us about it is Fabian Monaco, CEO of Gage Growth, a vertically integrated cannabis retailer in Michigan. Fabian, welcome to Can Insider. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Appreciate it. Fabian Monaco sounds like a character from a spy novel. I feel like my name's vanilla in comparison. What do you think about that, Fabian? Should I change my name? Could it be Matt hey, Monaco? Look, yeah. <laughs> I'll admit, Fabian Monaco is a nice, interesting, and unique name. Yeah. I, uh, I don't come across too many Fabians, that's for sure. Yeah, that's great. Well, give us a sense of geography. Where are you in the world today? Uh, right now, I'm in Toronto. I go back and forth between you know Canada and Michigan. Um, and right now, I'm in, I'm in Toronto, Canada. You could almost jetpack from uh, Toronto to Michigan. That's pretty easy, right? Oh, yeah. Very, very quick flight. Very, yeah. very quick. Okay. And what is Gage on a high level? Give us a, give us a picture. Uh, Gage is one of the largest vertically integrated cannabis companies in the state of Michigan. Uh, that's pretty much Gage at a high level. It is the premier brand in the space right now in Michigan. Uh, we continue to command some of the highest price points in the state of Michigan, put a lot of effort and time into the products that we bring to the consumer and the medical patient in Michigan. And something that we're very, 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 very proud of what we built. Okay. Can you share a little bit about your background and journey and how you got into the cannabis space? Yeah, no, good question. So uh, my background started actually more in capital markets. I used to be a lawyer and went into investment banking uh, at this place called GMP Securities. GMP Securities was at the forefront from a capital market standpoint in the uh, in the cannabis game. Uh, they had brought Tweed Public. I joined them shortly after that and frankly got to work on a lot of the, the first of the industry, you know, the first acquisition when Tweed bought Bedrocan. Uh, the first $100 million financing, the first IPO. I got to, again, work on a lot of the, um, a lot of the firsts in the industry and really transitioned to more um, you know, on the operational side of things uh, a couple of years ago when I started Gage with a couple of my former colleagues and, frankly, two of the best operators I know in the space. I'd seen probably over 100 you know, grows and cultivation assets and operators. And these two you know, founders of Gage really stood out. Uh, we're really one of a kind, and frankly, the the rest is history. Uh, that was three and a half years ago, and here I am today um, as the as the CEO of Gage. And you're a pretty young guy. How old are you? Are you, if you don't mind me asking? Thirty five. Yeah, Good. well done. And so, tell me, why Michigan? It's a it's a great demographic yeah, in terms of you know just the people there and the consumption habits of the people in Michigan. They're a very proud, you know, state as well. And they've been consuming cannabis, you know, from a medical standpoint for, for many, many years since 2008, when their caregiver program came into place. Yeah. Michigan was actually the second largest medical cardholder system only behind California. So you had this great underlying base. We knew Michigan was be a massive, massive market. And now today, Michigan already is the third largest market based on run rate. Yeah. I think people don't realize that. Also, when you talk to people in Michigan, there's like no resistance. Like, yeah, cannabis, cannabis should be legal. How about you? Yeah. How about you? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, exactly. everybody's like, I haven't met anybody from Michigan. that's like, no, forget this is crazy. Potheads everywhere. You don't hear that. No, not at all. Okay. Not at all. So they have a huge background as a cannabis uh, medical market and growing like crazy. 
So talk about the location of your retail operations. Locations. Yeah. So we, we now have eight uh, different retail locations across the state of Michigan. We have 13. We'll have all those 13 open by the end of this year. We're actually trying to get to 20 by the end of this year via acquisition. We have a whole bunch lined up for us in the next little short while here and look to have that full 20 portfolio of retail locations open by the end of this calendar year. Uh, we were really, really, you know, took a lot of time and spent, you know, proper, you know, analysis into finding markets where we knew they were going to be big markets and properly situated from a geographic standpoint. We can reach 90% of the population within a one hour's drive with the 13 locations that we have currently. Again, only eight of those are operational. By the time we get to 20, I'm hoping that we can reach close to 100% of the population within a short, you know, 20, 25 minute drive. And that's our goal. That's how we're really setting up our retail. Um, really trying to make sure we have the best access to all the consumers. Delivery is available in Michigan. It's dynamic delivery as well. So it's something that's going to really explode that market. It's, again, already so big. Um, can't wait to kind of delve into the delivery aspect of the uh, of the strategy as well. Okay. And so you're vertically integrated, as I said during the intro. You know, you grow your own plants, you're doing your own processing, selling your own goods at your own retail stores. What do you think are the biggest benefits of being vertically integrated? I mean, the trade-off would be maybe you're not focused, but others would say, no, we're very focused on everything from bottom of the funnel to the, you know, the actual transaction. So what do you say to that? What are are the benefits? Yeah, no, I think you need to be vertically integrated in the space right now. The way the the market is going, uh, you need to control every aspect of, you know, how your brand as a company is presented to the consumer. If you really have no aspirations of being, you know, a big cannabis brand, you can go set up a cultivation asset, sell wholesale, probably make good money. And, you know, that can be your strategy for us. You know, we really want to make Gage the biggest and best brand out there. And so with that, you need to be vertically integrated. You need to control every aspect from seed all the way to smoke. You can't necessarily, you know, give that opportunity to another third party to potentially misstep and have a scenario where they represent your brand poorly. And so, you know, even for us, we actually sell the majority of our product through our retail channels. We don't actually sell much wholesale. And that's, again, by design. It's by strategy. We wanted to ensure that we get every single, you know, gram of cannabis to the consumer, every single process that goes into that, we control it. We control the narrative. We explain to the consumer what they're getting when they come to our retail stores. They only have access to Gage and Cookies branded product when they come to our retail stores. So again, in Michigan, being slightly competitive, especially if you're trying to grow a brand, vertical integration is very, very key. Okay. And what's the difference? Let's talk a little bit about contract manufacturing and um, wholesale. So what's the difference for people who are like, wait, what's what's contract manufacturing and what's buying wholesale? Like what or contract growing and con and, and buying wholesale? What's the difference between those two? Yeah, so wholesale, wholesale is a scenario where you know if Matt is growing, you know, a couple grams or a couple pounds of cannabis. Gage would come and purchase that, you know, particular strain or flavor that Matt is growing. Contract manufacturing is a little different. These are licensed entities that came to us that wanted to grow Gage branded products. So we give them, you know, those starting materials, those those cuts to essentially grow for us. It's a very capital light model, and and, and 
actually something that's not really been widely available to every cannabis company out there. We've been blessed again with, you know, the fact that our brand is very, very well known in Michigan and very, very well recognized and respected. So we've had the opportunity where we now have 10 different exclusive contract growers within our network. And this spans across 10 different facilities. And so for us, you know, it gives us an opportunity to expand exponentially our cultivation footprint and also doing so in a capital light way. We don't pay for the CapEx. We don't pay for the OpEx of these facilities. And in fact, you know, most of the time they cover our packaging, our testing and secure transporting. I'm getting product on my shelf for zero dollars. I'm making 50 plus percent gross margins. And more importantly, the difference between wholesale and, you know, contract manufacturing, you're controlling your supply chain. You know what product's being grown, you know, when it's going to be harvested, you know, when it's going to be packaged, you know, when it's going to get on your shelf. Uh, With, you know, buying wholesale, you kind of don't know how many pounds this person has, what flavors they have, when can they deliver it, et cetera, et cetera. What price it's going to be here for us, you know, via our contract manufacturing agreements, we've kept it really, really simple. Step-by-step process throughout that, throughout the growing process and then obviously selling that product to us, which just makes it very, very simple and very, very you know, uh, easy for us to control our supply chain. Yeah. And this is helpful for the growers too, because they get predictability. They're like, I know who's going to be buying this at the end at, you know, after I've cultivated this, cured this and everything, I, I have some comfort knowing that there's someone at the end here. And if I do a great job, uh, you know, they're going to keep working with me. You're both incentivized to work together. Totally. Totally. It's a kind of like a win-win scenario, uh, for both. And, you know, they benefit financially. And then more importantly, they get to, uh, they get to, you know, intangibly benefit too. They're dealing with one counterparty all the time, one purchaser. They don't got to go chase multiple parties for their money. Uh, it's just a great relationship. It's, a, it's truly a win-win scenario for both parties. The first time I saw this was in uh, dairy land of uh, Wisconsin. And there's all these dairy farms. And you can see they have out front, they say, oh, we're a craft farm or, I can't remember the other big dairy companies. And I would think like, wow, do you want to do this? And then you talk to some of the dairy farmers, because who doesn't talk to dairy farmers in Wisconsin, Fabian? You're probably doing something a lot more interesting. But they would say, oh, uh, yeah, we do like this because there's predictability. Like we have, you know, it keeps us up at night. Like what's the price going to be uh, when, you know, it's it's time to go to market and stuff like that. It takes away a lot of that stress for them. So um, I think it is a win-win when, you know, both partners are properly aligned. And thanks for explaining the difference between contract manufacturing and wholesale. I think it's an interesting model. I can certainly see if you're making 50% profit margin with a contract manufacturing partner that you like, that's a no-brainer and something that scales probably pretty well, I would imagine. Exactly. No, exactly. I mean, just the, the speed at which you know the company can grow the flavor offering when it comes to flour uh, just expands at, at exponentially as we get more and more of these contract growers online right now. Five of them are operational. We'll have the full 10 by the end of the year and, and even looking to add potentially even more on top of that 10. Okay. So what's selling the best right now in your retail stores? And is there anything that's surprising? Like, hey, this is kind of unusual. We're seeing the purchase of this and it's a little bit out of pattern. Yeah, flower flower sales are super strong. You know, Michigan uh, or Michiganders, as they like to call themselves, they consume some of the highest amounts of flour on a per capita basis. And so, for us, you know, we specialize in flour. That's where we built our brand. We didn't be try to be the jack of all trades. Um, you know, trying to get into a variety of, uh, of product categories. Again, we focused on flour. On, on 420, as an example, you know, we had over five hundred thousand dollars in sales from just seven stores. And of that 500 plus, you know, 73% of it 
was, uh, was flower sales. So, you know, for us, we That's continue high. to see strong demand for flour. Yeah. You know, yeah. We, I would say over 50% of our sales are flour, uh, flour and pre-rolls. And, um, you know, with that being said, it's still a market and category that we focus on quite a bit and you know, one that's selling well. 420 is kind of the Amazon prime day of cannabis. And a lot of times there's through that whole supply chain, through the technology, a lot of technology goes down that's connected to the cloud intermittently. Um, but I noticed that some of the technology partners and integrators in the space have kind of adapted to this and they know these big traffic spikes are coming. Is there any way to smooth out the 420 experience or did it go totally smoothly? No, I mean, you, you know what to expect, right? It, it's not, um, you know, our, our operations team and the founders have deep, deep experience in the space right now. They know what to expect. Uh, you embrace it. It's, it's, it's a wonderful day. It's an exciting day. Uh, it's something that, you know, is as chaotic as it can be. Um, you know, even for us, uh, you know, it, it was pretty wild, especially, you know, uh, fighting with the, the big long lines, trying to get customers in and out as quick as we could. Um, you know, it's something that you embrace and something you appreciate. You, you, it's a blessing. It's a blessing to be in an industry that's in such high demand right now in terms of product uh, that we can't complain whatsoever. Well, let's talk about the basket size in the store at, the, at Gage. Can you talk about basket size and what you think about that? Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's, a, good, that's a good point to bring up, actually, because that's where we really, really excel. Uh, we really, really show how deep and, uh, you know, how deep the team is in terms of, you know, knowledge and how they run dispensaries and more importantly, just indicates how big of a brand we have. So, you know, Michigan average is about $85. The last study that we saw, that's a very good basket size. If you compare that to most other, other States, it's, it's exceptional. Um, for us, we're nearly double that, you know, we had 164 basket size, uh, average basket size in 2020. Uh, wow. so far in Q1 uh, of this year, we've been averaging, you know, depending on the month between 150 and 170, Oh. 420 it was 171 uh the week leading up to 420 it was about 165 so we've been you know in and around that zone um you know pretty consistently now and keep in mind that 2020 number i just gave you that was across the whole year across all the retail no cherry picking no saying hey this is with you know our best store this is what kind of basket size we get this was across our retail channels so there's some longevity and consistency in the numbers that we're seeing and again, if you compare that to anybody in industry, we are completely head and shoulders above everybody else. Yeah, that's that's really big. Do you do you provide like debit card uh, checkout or ATM in stores, or how can people pay? Yeah, I mean, uh, we predominantly accept cash. So okay. um, you know, they're 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 we've been trying a variety of you know options to get debit and you know credit cards in the stores, and we do have some of those options. But again, it's not it's not widely used just yet. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a shame that the industry continues to be plagued by a variety of banking and insurance issues yeah. uh, to have the ability for someone to just come in, put their visa down or Amex down and, and buy a product. Um, not only, I think, you know, does it make it easier for us um, and, and less risky for us as a business, um, but then even the consumer, you know what I mean? does have the propensity to potentially even spend more. So it can even increase, you know, the kind of sales that we see once we kind of get this, you know, potentially safe banking act passed, which who knows, you know, if we're ever going to get that passed anytime soon. But again, yeah. uh, I think as the industry opens up more and more, and we actually have that ability to this is if you're walking into a liquor store um, and having that same, you know, payment capabilities, I think you're going to see the industry explode even more. 
than it already is. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you're you're making 3% less profit margin because of all the charge costs, but people are much more comfortable. Also, when you're not handling bills, money seems a little less real. Like when you go to Disney World, they let you charge everything to like a bracelet. And man, you're, you're just flying through stuff because it's like, money's not real. I'm dealing with these uh, pretend dollars, Disney dollars. Yeah. It's that type of thing. No, it's like exactly. there's just zero friction. So yeah. I, I, I definitely see yeah. that coming. You probably you probably really feel, you know, come being in Canada and then working in Michigan, it's like you get to see like, I live in a market where it's federally legal cannabis is and there's none of these banking shenanigans. And then I go down to the US where it's like, this uh, cr- crazy madness where like they picked one thing to get upset about and ban, and then they did that. And so now we have to deal in cash. So it's probably super yeah. frustrating because you live in a place where it's like, we don't have these problems. No, very, very frustrating. You know, if you go to a store here in Canada, again, similar to how, you know, what you said, if you go there and you have, you know, a hundred dollars or $200 to spend, you know, sometimes even if I go to a store and say, Hey, you know, I want this or that. And then the, the bud tender says, Oh, have you tried this new version? And, you know, uh, or this new flavor. And at times, you know, again, cause you're paying with your card, you say, yeah, sure. Throw it in. But if you came only with cash, there's also that ability to potentially not even be able to pay for it. Right. And you can't say, you got to say, no, you know, I just got to come and get what I got, for, you know, what I came here for. Um, so the ability to upsell consumers as well is, is reduced. And again, that's not the, you know, the name of the game, always just trying to get the consumer to spend more. The, the, the risk associated, again, with handling cash all the time, and even, you know, during a pandemic, um, it, it is there, right? So you, you'd expect and you'd hope that sometime soon we're going to get some changes there. And really, you know, especially at a state level, uh, it's it's a no-brainer. You know, it's, it's really a no-brainer. There's absolutely no reason why you can't give proper banking to this industry. Let's talk about curbside pickup. How big has that become in the last year or so for you? Uh, curbside pickup is, uh, is pretty much uh, 99% of our business right now. So oh, wow. we, uh, yeah, we, we, so, so all the numbers I gave you, especially on basket size, you know, keep in mind, those are actually only curbside pickup numbers. We only had the store open, I think a little bit near the late summer, um, in 2020 since then, you know, the stores have been closed. You cannot enter the store. And so it's a little bit of a, you know, frustrating scenario as well there. You'd love for people to come see the stores. Uh, we've opened up a bunch of new stores actually more recently, and no one's really been able to come and see inside them. You know, we're really proud about our retail um, uh, footprint and 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 assets. It'd be great to have people walk through the door, but you know, for us as well, you got to keep safety in mind, safety of the uh, of the employees, and safety of the consumers and medical patients. Uh, everyone follows strict protocols, but again, haven't really had the comfort to go and open up the store. So curbside pickups a big big game changer for us. You know, I get emails pretty much every day or several times a week from people asking, how can they get into the industry? How they, can they get in the industry? And you said you're trying to expand to 20 stores in Michigan. When you're trying to fill positions, like what are the key positions you're looking to hire for just so people can get an idea of like the holes you're looking to fill? Uh, pretty much across the country. You know, you're always expanding your accounting and finance department. You're always expanding, you know, the the uh, the employees at retail as well as you continue to open up more and more uh, retail locations. And even for those that are looking to get in the industry, sometimes, you know, uh, it, 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 it's growing so fast that even the entry job that you initially get with a company, you could see yourself 
you know, four or five levels above that so quickly, like within a year's time, where can you get that opportunity or that type of, you know, career expansion so quickly? Right. Uh, you just can't get it anywhere else besides the cannabis industry. And we have people that, you know, came in as bud tenders, moved up to assistant managers of the store, then manager of the store, then, you know, manager of a regional part of, of the state. Um, and then, you know, kind of moving up to director of retail as well. So there's just so many opportunities to really grow fast, especially if you're performing well, because every single company out there, especially the ones that are doing a good job, are growing so exponentially that they can't get enough people to come work for them. Great points. And, you know, a lot of people don't have a background in retail or finance or accounting, but they have some sort of complementary skill you're looking for. How big a piece does attitude and ability just to solve problems come into, you know, your hiring decisions? I mean, you don't always get that opportunity to really, you know, uh, figure that out, you know, with the individual that you're, that you're hiring. I mean, you look to references, you look to, you know, the things that they're saying about the industry and why they're interested in the industry. Uh, and that's where you really got to base yourself on. It's funny, you know, it's not as easy to hire people in this industry as people think. You think that, oh, someone's working at Pepsi or Red Bull or some of these other great, you know, CPG type companies. Uh, they should be an amazing addition, you know, because cannabis is, is, is similar. Um, but at the end of the day, it, it's a different beast. Uh, there's a lot of learning, um, especially for those that don't have much knowledge uh, of the cannabis industry. And it's not always easy to attract people that, you know, fully get it. Um, so for us, it's, it's about having, it's like you said, someone that has the right attitude, that's hungry to learn, that's hungry to like, you know, dive basically headfirst into a brand new industry. That's what attracts us to candidates. And that's what the people we usually hire. Okay. I notice, you know, looking at the video of your stores and your marketing and your message, it seems like a very clear, crisp marketing message. How do you create that? Because, well, even even the fact that the name is short, I mean, I think is helpful to own like one word in the prospect's mind, Gage. I think that's very helpful. But then your whole branding is very consistent. I was wondering if you could just kind of open up the curtain and just what are kind of the marketing meetings like when you talk about like brand touch points, how we want the brand to be conveyed and those type of things. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a, some good analysis there. Um, you kind of, you know, not to give too much of our secret sauce away, but you kind of hit on a lot of points that we focused on. Obviously, the, the name being, you know, quite short, um, obviously, to the point. Um, the fact that, you know, for, for, for us, if you compare us to a lot of the other cannabis, you know, names out there, which always baffles me, you could go into a store, a dispensary, and not even know that, you know, a specific company owns that store because they're so, they're so bifurcated, you know, in their, in their branding strategy, you know, they kind of have branding for retail and then branding for the products. For us, we try to keep it pretty simple. You have Gage as the legal publicly traded name that trades on the CSC in Canada under the symbol Gage, G-A-G-E. You have, you know, the dispensaries that are Gage branded. You have the product that we sell that's Gage branded. And so you just have this continuity in the brand where it's all just gauge, gauge, gauge. Um, and I think that helps, you know, with and, and probably why, you know, we've been able to grow our brand so quickly. Um, it's not a scenario where, you know, you go into a dispensary and say, oh, is, is this the like, who owns this dispensary? What's this about? Um, what is this product? Is this is this grown by the company that owns the dispensary? Is it not? It, you just you have a little bit of that uh, scenario where the, the branding is just not consistent. Some cannabis companies, don't get me wrong, do do a good job of this as well. Like True Leave, as an example, in Florida, I think a lot of their success is, again, 
TrueLeave as the legal entity name, TrueLeave as the publicly traded entity, uh, TrueLeave as, you know, TrueLeave dispensaries and TrueLeave product that they sell within their dispensaries. It's really, really a straightforward strategy. And I'm just baffled as to why not a lot of other companies follow it in this industry. But again, we put a lot of time, you know, into our social media, a lot of time into, you know, interacting with our consumers. That's how you learn, you know, what the consumers are liking what they actually want from you. We have close to 30,000 followers on our social media on Instagram for our Gage uh, Cannabis profile. We have close to 30,000 followers for our Cookies Michigan profile. So we're constantly interacting with our consumers, again, to find out you know, what they're really looking for, what they're saying about our company. Are they happy about you know, a new strain that dropped? Are they happy with the bag art that was associated with that new strain, et cetera, et cetera. It just helps you know, in, a, in a big way. Uh, to us, it seems, you know, pretty simple, um, but not a lot of companies are, you know, following a similar strategy and, and, and we're frankly happy they're not right now. <laughs> Tell us about cookies there, because I think you're talking about the California brand cookies and I just want to make sure everybody knows what you're talking about and why you're excited about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I should have, you know, brought this up earlier. So we have an exclusive uh, arrangement with the cookies brand out of California. Cookies is hands down the best in the space. They're the Nike of the space, the Red Bull, the the, the Coca-Cola of the space right now. Uh, so a couple of years ago, over two years ago, uh, they weren't at, at that time. And But we knew, you know, they were really gaining in prominence. They'd been around for a good solid six, seven years and recognized, hey, this is a this is a brand where the, the, the kind of street culture, the subculture of cannabis is really, really appreciating. So we partnered on an on a exclusive basis with them and um, still have that exclusivity for the next uh, three years here where we essentially, you know, run the brand for them in Michigan. And so we run, you know, two different cookies branded dispensaries in Michigan, one on eight mile in Detroit, one in Kalamazoo. It's the first adult use store, the latter, the Kalamazoo one in the Midwest and obviously in Michigan. Uh, Cookies was the obviously the cookies medical one in Detroit was the first, you know, store in Michigan. We opened that up last year in January. Uh, These are some of the best performing dispensaries in the state. And, um, you know, we just we just really learned so much from that company. It's again, it's like starting a sneaker company with Nike in Michigan. Uh, it's uh, it's been a scenario where we get to learn so much from the company, and more importantly, continue to grow with them. And we, you know, we we put a lot of you know effort into their branding as well uh, within Michigan, making sure that we're representing them the best that we possibly could. And that's again, you know, helps elevate our brand to another level. I'd say, you know, when we first opened our dispensary in September 2009, our very first one probably the majority of the people in the line were there for cookies products. They didn't really know who Gage was. Now, you know, these days, um, I'd say, you know, Gage and cookies are pretty synonymous with each other in Michigan. And more importantly, Gage is on a similar level, you know, from a branding standpoint. Great explanation. Thanks. Well, Fabian, I'd like to transition to some personal development questions to let people know more about you personally. Is there a book that's had a big impact on your life or way of thinking that you'd like to share? Um, you know, to be honest with you, not really. Uh, I, I used to be a big avid reader, but uh, I'd say over the past decade, not not a lot of time for uh, for reading. I'm reading so much, you know, for my work that at the end of the day, like like most of us out there, you know, you're just looking to either uh, you know go out with some friends or or more importantly, just sit down and watch uh, watch some TV, watch some Netflix. Um, you know, so from from a book standpoint, it's a little tough to say. Haven't really been swayed or moved by. Um, by anyone. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Malcolm Gladwell. I've read a lot of his books, a lot of the ideas, um, you know, that he puts 
forth in his books, the way he looks at things, his analysis that he's done, his research is always, you know, intriguing, especially that, you know, the one where it's like, you know, you got to put 10,000 hours into something to really become an expert. You know, I, I think that's pretty key. Um, you know, myself and all the people I gauge are, you know, put, putting in tons and tons of hours into this company on a consistent basis, always trying to learn, always trying to be better. Um, and I think, you know, that's particularly important because as soon as you think, when you, when you become overconfident or arrogant about, you know, your branding or your company, that's when you start to slip up. You know, we always try to view ourselves as, you know, a company that can always learn, can always be better, can always, you know, um, you know, achieve higher. Even if, you know, we're achieving some great success, you know, our, our motto within our company is not good enough. We should achieve 10% higher, you know? So um, those are kind of some of the, the ideas that generally, you know, I got from, uh, from, you know, my previous uh, reading. Um, but generally, you know, I, I can't say one particular book. When you're, when you're looking at the industry from a 10,000 foot level, do you think there's any trend or anything you see that's going to be big, but the, the market or the general public at large doesn't seem to see it quite the same way you do? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I think it's, um, this is kind of a 50-50 question, but, you know, I think the the size of the market is being underestimated in a big way. I think, you know, a lot of the studies that are coming out, again, are not, are, are being done and, and people are not fully aware of just how big this market is. Um, we are achieving outrageous growth, okay, generally as an industry with so many constraints, so many handcuffs on us when it comes to banking, uh, when it comes to the ability, as we were talking earlier, to predominantly just, you know, operate in cash and not having the ability to use any credit cards or, frankly, any debit cards in most scenarios. So I think, you know, once the industry really starts to open up, uh, once supply starts to open up in the various states uh, across the U.S., I think it's going to surprise a lot of people. If you take a look at Colorado, you know, Colorado six, seven years into their program, their out of use program. And yet I think they grew 20% from, you know, December 31st, 2019 to December 31st, 2020, which is just crazy. And I think people are really underestimating the size and the power of this industry. How about this, Fabian? What's your favorite key here? Unhealthy comfort food. Yeah, so my background's Italian, and I'd have to go with you know Italian food, and, and more importantly, pizza. pizza. I could eat pizza every single day of my life, and you know, as a as a second, as close second to that, it'd be a, it'd be a cheeseburger. I absolutely do love uh, do love burgers. I got a couple of friends that I went to law school with that I probably get together with them every couple of weeks for us to go try a new burger spot uh, where I live. I think I've tried probably close to 100 places here in the city of Toronto. Oh my God, you're serious about that? I like that level of commitment. You're an yeah, out, you know, you're just, you're, just, a, you're an outlier. Speaking of Malcolm Gladwell, you're an outlier for cheeseburgers. Hundred percent. You, you've put in your you've put 100%. your ten thousand hours in. And oh so, wait, yeah. Was well, as long as we have you on here, what's your top? What's the best? There's a lot of people from uh, Canada that listen to the show and Ontario specifically. What's the best cheeseburger in Ontario? You know what? So the the company that, or let's say the chain that really got me on on burgers was the Burgers Priest. Um, you know they they, uh, they they had a small little location in the east end of the city that they started. Every time you'd go there, there'd be lines and lines and lines. You know I have to give them credit. I have to give them credit. That was kind of that was kind of the thing that really got me on this artisanal burger craze. 
and uh, haven't looked back since. So the Burgers Priest, hands down one of the best burgers in the city. Fabian, tell listeners how they can find your stock ticker and how they can visit one of your stores. No, for sure. So I think, you know, first off, you go to our website, www.gagecannabis.com. Really easy to remember. Again, that's gagecannabis.com. Just learn a whole variety about our, our company, the products we have. You can look at all the menus of all our stores online, both on the rec side of things and the med side of things. Um, you know, if you have any questions from an investor standpoint, you can go, you can email us, sorry, at ir at gageusa.com. Again, that's ir at gageusa.com. As I previously mentioned, we are a publicly traded entity. We trade on the Canadian Securities Exchange, like pretty much the majority of the other MSOs, like TrueLeaf, HeroLeaf, et cetera. Uh, we trade under the symbol GAGE, really easy to remember, GAGE. Again, that's GAGE. Uh, we don't have our OTC ticker yet for those uh, listeners in the U.S. Uh, working hard to get that, and we should hopefully have that in the coming weeks, giving obviously the U.S. investors the opportunity to buy uh, buy our stock as well, because it's a little difficult to buy uh, CSE traded stocks in the U.S. right now, unfortunately. How about uh, job seekers if they're in Michigan and they're you know they want to apply for a job to help your team grow? Is there a way they can find open job positions? Yeah, again, you know, go to our website, gagecannabis.com. You'll see we're always hiring. I feel like we always have a long, long list of people that we're looking to add. You know, follow us on social media as well. Uh, We do have, you know, certain announcements about when we're kind of having a big hiring push as well. Uh, Our social media, uh, I would just say, you know, you can find us on on Instagram at gagecannabis. Pretty easy to remember. Again, that's gagecannabis. Uh, you know, follow us there. It gives you a little taste and flavor of the brand as well. It's kind of make you even see if you want to work with us to see how we, you know, look at the industry and how we run our company. But we do have, you know, some announcements there as well when it comes to job postings and other initiatives that we're working on. So I encourage everybody to follow us there as well. All right. Well, Fabian, thanks so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. And good luck with trying to get 20 stores open. That's a huge goal. It sounds like you're executing really well and we wish you all the best. Thanks so much, Matt. Really appreciate you having me on. If you enjoyed the show today, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever app you might be using to listen to the show. Every five-star review helps us to bring the best guest to you. Learn more at cannainsider.com forward slash iTunes. What are the five disruptive trends that will impact the cannabis industry in the next five years? Find out with your free report at cannainsider.com forward slash trends. Have a suggestion for an awesome guest on Canna Insider? Simply send us an email at feedback at cannainsider.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please do not take any information from Canna Insider or its guests as medical advice. Contact your licensed physician before taking cannabis or using it for medical treatments. Promotional consideration may be provided by select guests, advertisers, or companies featured in Canada Insider. Lastly, the host or guests on Canada Insider may or may not invest in the companies or entrepreneurs profiled on the show. Please consult your licensed financial advisor before making any investment decisions. Final disclosure to see if you're still paying attention. This little whistle jingle you're listening to will get stuck in your head for the rest of the day. Thanks for listening and look for another Canada Insider episode soon. Take care. Bye-bye.